Have you ever been in conversation with someone and they started sharing a story with you that immediately reminded you of a story that had happened in your own life? Maybe you responded by saying, that's funny, I had almost the same exact thing happen to me. When I was reading this story of Moses and the promised land and the escape, I couldn't help this week but be reminded of another story. There's something so familiar about this story, if we could just figure out which story it is actually pointing to. Let's do that today. Let's remind ourselves of where we've been, first of all. As we've been reading through the story, which if you don't have a copy of yet, we do have copies of the story available for you out in the lobby. We'd love for you to take one of those. We've heard some great stories of people uh, getting engaged with neighbors. We've heard of family members that are reading along with you, even in some far-off places. That's just a great thing. That's a great symbol that you guys are sharing your faith. You're sharing what's going on with your neighbors, and that's something that we would love to see just continue and go deeper as we continue in the story. But this sub-series that we're doing is called Building Blocks. Uh, and building block number one, we started off in the book of Genesis, the very beginning, and we talked about our good God, how our God created everything good. He created humans to be very good. But as a result of the fall, we see that God responded in His goodness to promise us redemption, our good God. Building block number two is our covenant God. We talked about Abraham and this great hero of the faith, Abraham, we found out has a lot of darkness in his history as well, but how God made a covenant with him. God made a, a, a binding agreement with him of not just of things, but of people. God pledged himself to be through Abraham a blessing to all people, something that we see lived out in Jesus Christ. Last week, we took a look at our restoring God. We talked about Joseph, and you remember how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and we reminded you that's illegal to do today, so even though it's tempting, don't follow the biblical example by selling your family members into slavery. Uh, and we talked about how at the end of it, how Joseph wound up saving all his brothers' lives because God rose him up to be uh, the second hand or the, the right hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. And how that famous verse at the end that Joseph shared, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. God is a restoring God. But this week we take a look at building block number four, which is our redeeming God. And we're going to find out today how God redeemed Israel, how he redeemed them from slavery when they were slaves in the foreign land, how God worked to bring redemption through his justice. And justice is a word today that gets a bad rap in a lot of circles. Let me be very clear to you. God is a God of justice, and He longs for justice to be brought in every situation in this world. Oftentimes, it's only Him that knows what true justice is, and that makes things very difficult. But there are a lot of areas where we should be longing to see justice brought. It doesn't mean we have figured out exactly what that looks like, and it certainly doesn't mean that either political party has it figured out either, okay? But think about some of the areas where there are injustices that have happened either in the past or are currently happening that need help. We see it happening in racism. We see it happening with sex trafficking, which we're going to be learning a lot about in the coming months. We see it happening with abortion. We see it happening with religious oppression. We see it also in modern-day slavery. 
happening in many countries. Many of the things that we buy are put together by modern-day slaves, believe it or not. And we see it happening with hundreds of millions of street kids and orphans around the world who are being raised without a mother or a father. That is an unjust situation that cries out for God's redemption. Desmond Tutu has said, there's nothing more radical, more revolutionary, more subversive against injustice and oppression than the Bible. If you want to keep people subjugated, the last thing you place in their hands is a Bible. Of course, he's speaking with his experience being uh, with all the apartheid that happened in South Africa as his example. God is a God who longs for justice to be brought. We see this as the example of how he brought justice for those slaves who were in Egypt for all those years. But let's get back to what's familiar about this story. Because there's something so familiar. There are several things so familiar. In fact, I found six things that are so familiar about this story that they're just begging to be exposed for how they relate to a greater story. The first thing that I noticed this week is that the people are trapped in slavery in this story. The people are trapped in slavery. In Exodus 1, verses 8 through 14, it says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made them their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the first thing that we see in this story is that the people were trapped in slavery. Is this starting to sound familiar to you yet at all? The second thing we see gives us a little bit more of a hint. The second familiar piece of this story is that there is a miraculous escape of a baby boy. What we see is that Moses is born, and he is born into a time where all of the babies were forced, all the male children that were Hebrew children were forced to be killed. But Moses is actually saved. His life is saved because of the actions of his mother and his sister, but most importantly, because of the action of his God. We have the miraculous escape of a baby boy. I know I've heard the story of an escape of another baby boy as well. I just can't quite remember where. Well, our third clue that we see that's familiar about this story is that God comes down to rescue his people. You may remember in the story that there is a burning bush, this, this, this uh, I've heard it called a butane bush, because it's, it's on fire, but yet it's not being consumed. It just keeps on burning over and over and over again here. And Moses goes to check it out, and of course God meets him in that story. But in the midst of Moses' calling and everything else, I want to pay attention not to Moses' calling here in Exodus chapter 3, but the promise that God makes in this story. It says, The Lord said, 
I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Keep that in mind. If there are people who are suffering, God is concerned about their suffering. He hears their suffering when they cry out. But listen to his response in verse 8. It says, So I have come down to rescue them. God has come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know if that makes you hungry or not, talking about a land flowing with milk and hungry, milk and honey, excuse me. Every time that I read it, I think of those Dairy Queen commercials where they have like the ice cream, mountain ice creams, and the mountains of chocolate, and the hot fudge that's coming down through it. Do you remember those commercials? Yeah, yeah. Am I making you hungry? Should I stop? Probably a little too close to lunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those, that's like my version, and maybe America's version of, of land flowing with milk and honey is like ice cream and hot fudge. Maybe that's what it is. Just think of that. That's what the promised land is. Amen. So the third thing that we see, the third hint, is that God comes down to rescue his people. Just where is it that I've heard this story before? Clue number four is that God's people are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Listen to what it says. After all the plagues, except for the plague of the firstborn son, have been done, Moses instructs the people, and God instructs the people through Moses. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, these instructions are given. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, meaning the sheep. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is starting to sound very familiar. The people are saved by the blood of a, of, of a lamb, but they weren't just supposed to be any lamb. This was not to be the runt of the litter. This was to be a pure and spotless lamb. This story is starting to sound more and more familiar, isn't it? Clue number five is that the Lord wins salvation for the people. There are lots of great stories of military conquest in Scripture. This is not one of them. This is not one where God raises up an army. This is one where God raises up plagues and a sea for them to walk through. Yes, a sea, not like the letter C. This isn't Sesame Street. It's not brought to you by the letter C today. We're talking about the Red Sea. And as the people are escaping out and headed towards the Red Sea, and Pharaoh comes after them, and we have the whole, uh, the whole pillar, of cloud, pillar of fire and of clouds and everything else that's happening here. Here's what happens in Exodus 14, verse 10 and following. 
It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Now keep in mind, the, the Israelites had been slaves. They might have been strong people, but they, you don't give weapons to slaves. They were not an army. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. After they were terrified and cried out to the Lord, they did the next best thing, which was they started complaining to Moses. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us up to the desert to die? What have you done to, to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better us for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. If I was Moses, I might have been tempted to say, fine, die in the desert then. But listen to what Moses says. Moses clearly Clearly under the direction of the Lord, he says to them, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Not that the Lord will fight through you to bring, but that the Lord will bring you today. Listen to what it says. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you you only need to be still. Clue number five is that the Lord wins salvation for His people. I think we're getting close to figuring out where we've heard this story. But there's one more clue that we need to expose. And that is number six. Is that people escape death by going through the waters. In Exodus 14, verses 21 through 22, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. I can't imagine how terrifying that would have been to pass through the sea, can you? And yet they did. And God brought them through it. And of course, once they passed through, Moses put his hand down and God closed the waters on the Egyptian army who were foolish enough to keep on chasing after them. Clue number six is that people escape death by going through the waters. So let's just review and try to put this together, shall we? Just where have we heard this story before? Clue number one is that people are trapped in slavery. Well, the Bible talks about another group of people who are trapped in slavery, doesn't it? It's not them or those people. The people trapped in slavery is us. We are caught as slaves to sin, the Bible says. And that there is a yoke that we could not break on our own. No matter how hard we tried, or no matter how hard we keep trying it, we've seen it from the time of Adam and Eve when they bit into the apple all the way through today. We are slaves to sin when we are left on our own. Amen? We've seen this story before. But number two, we see that there is a miraculous escape of a baby boy. Now, it's not Christmas, but if I can remind you back to the Gospel of Matthew, you will remember what happened to baby Jesus. When the Magi, the, the wise men, however you want to call them, came to worship Jesus, they went first to the palace because that's where most kings are born. 
And they said, where is he? We've come to worship the king. And of course, you know what that did not to Pharaoh, but you know what that did to Herod. Herod ordered all the baby boys that were born under two years old in Bethlehem to be slaughtered. And Jesus escaped because his family was warned by an angel. Where, just where did they escape to? Egypt. It was Egypt they escaped to. So we see a people trapped in slavery. That's us. A miraculous escape of a baby boy. That happened to Jesus. We see number three, clue number three, is that God came down to rescue his people. Well, you know what the Gospel of John says about us? Excuse me, you know what the Gospel of John said about Jesus? Is that the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh. He put on flesh and bones. And He did what? He sent down orders from heaven? No, it says that He, made, he, he became flesh. The Word became flesh and He made His dwelling here among us. God came down to rescue His people, not only at the Exodus, but He came down at the time of Jesus Christ to rescue His people once again. But this time would not merely be a physical escape. This time would be a spiritual escape. How about clue number four? Shall we continue? God's people are saved by the blood of the Lamb. When we look to see Jesus approaching John the Baptist, his forerunner, the prophet, uh, between eating all the, the locusts and honey that he was eating out there in the wilderness, it says that John the Baptist sees Jesus coming from the distance while he's down in the Jordan River baptizing people. And what is it he says? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the, the slavery, the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away what's holding us back from God. This story is sounding very familiar, isn't it? And then in verse 5, excuse me, verse point number 5, uh, reason number 5, clue number 5 that I see, it says that the Lord wins salvation for His people. Paul says it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. The reality is, is you and I aren't here today because we're morally good people. You and I aren't here today because we've got it all figured out. You and I are here because we are slaves to sin that have found good, the good news of Jesus Christ that we can't save ourselves because Jesus Christ has offered salvation to us, that free gift. The Lord wins salvation for His people. There was a famous pastor by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who practiced in London, and he used this little test with people. Whenever he was uh, talking with someone and trying to get a sense of where they were at spiritually, he'd say, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? I mean, are you a Christian today? And many, many people, especially British people who always wanted to be very modest, would say, well, I'm trying. And the doctor would proceed to explain to them that their answer indicated they had no idea what Christianity was all about. Not in the slightest. Because he says, what makes you a Christian is the change of status. You're in that kingdom. 
Now you're in this kingdom. You were out of the family of God. Now you're in the family of God. You were not born again. Now you are born again. You were not justified. You were under the wrath of God. And now you are justified. Bang. It happens just like that. And I ask you today, church, are you trying today? Are you trying? Because if you're trying to be a Christian, you're doing the wrong thing. What we need to do is we need to be trusting in Christ. And when we trust in Christ for our salvation, we see that the good works start to flow out of us naturally because we're walking with the God who created us. Church, sometimes we get guilty of slipping back into that rut of trying, 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 and we forget that it's God who has come down to save us. And it is God who still walks with us through His Holy Spirit. And instead of trying, we can go to trusting. And in trusting, then we can become and go into training to become more like Jesus Christ as He walks with us and as He lives through us through His Holy Spirit. Clue number five is the, war, the Lord wins salvation for His people. Humor me to let me just review with you. First, people are trapped in slavery. So are we. It's called sin. Secondly, we see the miraculous escape of a baby boy. Jesus was saved by the grace of God. God's provision saved Jesus Christ out, of, out from death from Herod and sent him into Egypt to be saved. Number three, God comes down to rescue his people. John says that we are saved, uh, that God's be, word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Number four, God's people are saved by the blood of the Lamb. We know that we too are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That it wasn't the blood on a doorpost this time, but it was the blood that was shed on a wooden cross that saved us, not just from the Egyptians, but from sin and death itself. And number five, the Lord wins the salvation for the people. This is not something that we do on our own, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, number six, people escape death by going through the waters. 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Church, have you gone through the waters? Have you made this story your own? Because this story isn't just about Moses. This story isn't just about the Israelites. This story points us directly to our story, to God's story, the bigger story. The story that matters more than any other story in your life. That God has saved you. That God has rescued you from slavery by His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you pass through the waters of baptism? Would you come home? Hebrews 3, 5, and 6 says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and our hope in which we glory. Tim Keller, a retired pastor now from New York City, tells the story while he was just training to be a pastor some 40 years ago. And he says, I'll never forget sitting in R.C. Sproul's living room in Stallstown, Pennsylvania, nearly 40 years ago. And for the first time, J. Alec Moyer a famous Old Testament scholar, was visiting from Britain. I had never heard of him. I was sitting on the floor with a bunch of other college and seminary kids, and R.C. Sproul told us something about the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
And Alec Moyer said this, think about it. Think of what an Israelite would have said on the way to Canaan, having come out of the Red Sea and so forth. Here's what an Israelite would have said. If you said, who are you? He would have said, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Our mediator led us out and we crossed over and now we're on the way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but he's given us his law to make a community and he's given us the tabernacle because you have to live by grace and forgiveness and his presence is in our midst and he's going to stay with us until we get home. And Alex Moyer said, that's exactly what the Christian says, almost word for word. Tim Keller's 23-year-old self said, huh, church, this is a story that needs to be familiar to us. Is it a story that's familiar to you? Paul tells the story this way. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Church, have you made this your story yet today? Have you walked through the waters? Have you chosen to trust in God rather than in your own works? Have you recognized your need to escape slavery? I want to give you an opportunity today. Um, today, after the service is over, I'm simply going to stay down front here. And if this is a decision that you need to make, if you need to make a commitment to follow Christ, I want to invite you to come to be a part of the family, to come and to walk in His grace, to come and to trust in the blood of the Lamb, to come and to walk through the waters and into the promised land. You just simply come forward and I'd be more than happy to meet with you but church, this doesn't just need to be our story. The world needs this story. It's our job to share this story. This story that's been a blessing to us is to be a blessing to all people. Now, may we be the people who go and share this greater story, the story of our salvation. Amen? Father, we come to you as people who have the, the, the desire to try to figure things out on our own. And yet, Lord, when we hit rock bottom, we know that we can't do it on our own. But Lord, you have not left us alone. You have met us while in the pits of slavery. You did not write a, write a book in the clouds, but Jesus, you came and stood right here in our midst. You came as the pure, spotless lamb to be the sacrifice for our sins. You came and showed us how we can walk through the waters. and How we can live with you forever. And so Jesus, remind us of your gospel today. If we've been a believer for years, Lord, remind us. So often we try, try, try on our own instead of trusting you. Forgive us and heal us. And Lord, for those who need to make you Lord today, we pray your blessing. We pray your guidance. We pray, Lord, for surrender. We pray for your lordship to be seen as the gracious lordship that it is.
We thank you for laying down your life, Jesus, to be the pure spotless lamb so that we can be saved today. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.